Okay, so I want to welcome you, and in a few moments, we're going to be down in that water. We're going to be baptizing some people, dunking them in water, which is going to be awesome. And I want to say that most of you who have been Christians for any length of time have probably been baptized, and you've probably heard sermons about what it is and so on. And so you think that you know what it is, and you do. But what if there's something more to it? What if there's something that God wants to do and show us in baptism that isn't just for baptism? That is actually something that he wants to have in our minds every day that we live. Every moment that we have a challenge. Every moment that we have a temptation. What if there's something that God gave us in baptism that we don't know? That he wants in us because it will make an enormous difference in everything in our lives. That's what we're going to be doing today. So I asked Jenny Yahokowski, who did just pray, and Jenny, just yell it out, okay? Pray for the sermon, lift up another church. So Lord, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for this day. We pray, Lord, a blessing on the sermon. Thank you, Lord, that we've been doing this series empowered, and Lord, you long to empower us. So we just ask for that in Jesus' name, and I pray, Lord, that as people are baptized, volunteer okay I forgot to get one yeah, awesome I was actually looking at you and I was going I'd love to use David but I wouldn't want to call him out so that is just perfect okay now well, this is the part of baptism that we all know okay and I'm just gonna go through it so that we're all on the same page and we get it all right so a little bit later on we're gonna be down in the water and we're gonna say who wants to get baptized and somebody's gonna come down we're gonna say what's your name and then they're gonna say what their name is and then we're gonna say why do you want to get baptized and at that moment in time the person is going to say any one of a huge range of things, right? Because God, who knows us all individually and personally, has individual and personal things that he's doing with you in particular. But the overarching idea that's in every answer is this. In our lives, we make decisions to either follow God or to go our own way. Everybody does that. Now, that's true whether you know him or not. Even people that don't know him, there's, they have a conscience and they have a sense of what God wants them to do, and they can either choose to follow that or they can choose to go the way that they think is better for whatever reason they think that, right? And non-Christians do that. Christians still do that. All that kind of stuff, right? Now, every time we make a decision to not go the way that God has, but to go our own way, that's called sin. That's a decision to not follow God. Okay? I just want to, just want to, I, I think if you lined 100 Christians up and you said, define for me what a Christian is, I think there's only about 10 or 15 that would be able to give you the short answer. And the short answer is a Christian is somebody who follows Christ. Right? So when we follow Christ, we're being Christians. We're following Christ, Christians. When we don't follow Christ, we're being something else. Right? And what God says is, is when you follow that something else, I'm life, I gave you life, and I sustain life, and I am life. And if you decided to go some other direction than life, well, then that's death, right? So what we say is, in Christianese, we say, the penalty for sin is death. 
Now that's more than just Christianese, it's a truth. When we choose to go our direction, we separate ourselves from God, and when we do that, we're, 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 we're dead. We don't, we're not dead in our body yet, but at some point in time we will be, and if we've not chosen to follow Christ, then we will be separated from him eternally, and that is the real death, right? So the point is, a baptismal candidate stands here, and what they've got in their mind is, I have been making all of these choices, all these years, all this time, to go my way. Sometimes I followed, but a lot of times, or it doesn't matter how many, but I did choose to go this other way. And when I did so, the penalty for that is separation, is death, right? So what they're saying is, is I, I need to die. They're saying, I understand what the penalties, I understand what the consequences of those decisions are. Somebody who doesn't know God doesn't know that. But somebody who's coming to baptism is saying, I recognize that I need to own the truth of my choices and the consequences of them. And so I'm a dead man, dead man walking, right? There you go, thank you. So what we do is exactly that, right? What we do is, is we say, okay, and we have them plug their nose, and then they, we dip them back in the water, and when we dip them back, that was a nice dip, okay? We should go dancing sometimes. No. <laughs> I got a really bad joke right now. I'm not going to use it. You can make up your own punchline on that. All right, but so the point is, is that, is that when they do that, what they're doing is they're saying, I'm dying. I'm choosing to die, right? I'm choosing this. Now, the reason why you are as a Christian is because you know you're not actually dying right there in the baptism, right? You're not like, we're not like holding you under so long that you can't breathe anymore, okay? So you're not actually dying, but what you're doing is you're saying, I recognize that there is somebody that did die. My act is symbolic, but his was real. He went into the ground for three days, Jesus. He died, and he didn't, now here's the key, he didn't die for himself, he died for me. He took the consequences of my choices upon himself and died, right? And so when I'm saying in baptism, I'm dying, I'm joining myself to that death. I'm joining myself to Jesus. I'm identifying my life to Christ as he dies. Because Jesus took on my sin, but had no sin himself. So he didn't deserve to die. He died for my sins, but he himself could not be held by death because he had no sin. He had not made ever a choice to go another way. So the grave couldn't hold Jesus, so he rises back up again, right? So what we're doing in baptism is we're saying, I symbolically identify, not sim I, in truth, identify symbolically, I die to be united with Christ in that death that I might rise again new, right? That's exactly right. That I might rise again clean from sin, right? That's that water imagery. I go under the water and water cleanses and I come back up again and the water sheaths off of me and it's sheathing off all of that dead stuff now, all that dead skin, all that dead sin, all that stuff is, is gone. And I have been raised new in Christ. Now that is what we understand baptism to be, right? So thank you. Okay, David, appreciate it. Now, now, I want to propose to you that baptism, which happens only, the baptism we're talking about, that we just talked about, only happens after Christ dies, right? 
Because it's not possible until then. Christ hasn't, nobody's taken our sin upon him. There's sacrifices that are made that point to it, but nobody's actually done it yet. But here's the deal. God actually prefigured, you know the word? It means he foreshadowed, it means he had a baptism way before Christ ever was that showed us something about baptism that was to come that we don't see. Now, this is not the one you've never heard of, but this is one that's probably getting to where it's already something different. So here's how this one goes. This is the Israelites, and God has gotten this guy, Abram, about 200 years before Jesus. 2,000 years, excuse me. He tells him, follow me. You see the, you see the pattern? Follow me. I'll take you to a promised land. I'll take you to a new land that I'm giving to you. A new life, a new reality. I'll take you someplace new. Right? Then what happens is, is that they go into the land, and when they get to their great-grandchildren, there's a famine. And in that famine, in the land, it turns out, because of another story, Joseph has become, who's one of the Israelites, becomes the number two guy in all of Egypt, which is the most powerful country in the world. And God brings the Israelites down to Egypt to be spared. And not only are they spared, but because of Joseph, they're actually given the most prime land in all of Egypt, which is a very, very luscious place because the Nile is collecting all this topsoil upstream and depositing it down in these low lands and depositing all this topsoil. So you've got incredibly rich land down here, right? And that's what Joseph gives to the Israelites. Now watch. The problem is, the famine ends in the land that God gave to them. And the Israelites look at that high, sort of rocky soil. And they look at this lush, green, prosperous place. And they say, we don't want to go where God wants us to go. We want to stay here. That's the choice, right? We don't, God has something for us, but it doesn't look as good as this does. Right? So they stay here. Now, as happens, so slowly that it's the lobster in the pot where the temperature gets turned up and you don't know what's happening. But just step by step, generation after generation, they end up in slavery. Now here's what God's saying through that. Real simple. He's saying that we make choices to go after the things of the world because they look really good. God is offering us another way we don't understand the fullness of it. We don't trust him. We don't think of it as better. So we choose to go our way into the world. And what happens is when you choose to go after the world in ways subtle, but step by step, you end up in bondage to the very things that look so good to you, right? You end up in slavery. That's the illustration. So now that they're in slavery, they realize, oh my gosh, this has turned badly. They say, God, deliver us. They cry out to God, and God hears their cries. And so what he does is he does 10 miracles over here in Egypt, 10 plagues, and he delivers them from the Egyptians. Now watch. This is the Red Sea. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And this is a landmass that you can walk right up and go right to Israel, right here, right? So you would think that God would deliver them and send them straight up to, to Israel. But what he does is he actually sends them down this direction to where they get so far down the Red Sea that they're actually trapped. And then the Egyptians change their mind 
and they come after him to kill him and enslave him. So what happens is, is that the Israelites end up on a bank. And behind them is the world pursuing them to recapture them. And in front of them is an impossibility. You cannot get from here to where God wants you to be, which is on that side. You can't get from this bank to that bank. You cannot get there. You cannot get from this bank to that bank no more than when you go into that water and you say there's a consequence for sin that you can deliver yourself from your own sin. It's impossible. So God does a miracle in Christ dying for you. But watch how it's prefigured right here. See, it's impossible that I should end up where God wants me. Here I am. I'm stuck. There's no hope, right? Well, wrong. Because what God does is, is he parts the sea. And when he parts the sea, now watch, because this could become important in a second. When he parts the sea and you start to go through the water, there's a huge wall of water over here, and there's a huge wall of water over here. Now, can I just tell you, when the, when the Israelites walked down into that sea, even though it was dry ground, can you imagine that they might have been freaking out? I mean, all that has to happen is those walls of water, which who's ever seen a wall of water before? Because I've never seen it. Right? Who's ever seen a wall of water just stay there? So what happens if we get in the middle and it just collapses on us? So now watch. What do you have to do in order to get to the other side? You have to trust God. You have to trust God. So what they do is they trust God. They walk through, pretty freaky. They get to the other side. They climb up here. Now watch. They've made it to the other side miraculously, the way only God could get them there. Watch. Here comes the world trying to get them again. And look what God does in baptism now. Watch. This prefigures baptism. God closes the river down again, closes the sea down again on all that worldly stuff that was pursuing you. That's the imagery. That's the symbolism that he wants you to have in, in baptism. It's not just being delivered from your sin. It's that he's taking you to a place where he's closing the world and sin down from it ever coming after you again. See, not only can you not go back, but that stuff that was over there can't get to you. It dies in that sea too. See it? So there's a symbolism of going down and dying and coming back up again. And then the sin is dead down there and the stuff that pursued and you can't go back. Now that's the symbolism of what I'm going to call the first baptism, the first prefigured baptism. Because the fact is, there's actually a second prefigured baptism. And here's why. Was the sin able to follow them over the river, even though the symbolism is that it couldn't? Did the sin follow them over the sea? Yes. Why? Well, because what they did is they got over here, and God done all those miracles and parted the sea, and they go down here over to the Mount, Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, and, and they, they do this thing, and now they're coming up and they're going to Israel, and they go up to Israel, the same people that saw all those miracles. Remember last week, Dave said, you, you, you know, you've got to grow. He holds you accountable. So they get up here, and with all the miracles that they saw, you would think that what they would say when they got over here was, when they got to the land, they sent the spies in, there were giants in there, but, but the, the Egyptians were good sized too. <laughs> and that sea was a pretty bad thing that God did miracles. 
And what they should have said was what only two of them did. They're just giants. God's bigger. But all the rest of them, including not just the other ten spies, but the rest of the nation said, we won't make it. Not only did they say we won't make it, what did they say? Better that you should have left us in Egypt as slaves than to die here at the hands of these giants. You see it? So their sin followed them, didn't it? Right? Even though he was giving them symbolism, it's not to follow, it's not to do this, but the reality was it was still with them. Which is why we have the second baptism. And this one is very, very much like the first except for one critical element. It starts off like this. You guys can go ahead and start bringing that over. It starts off like this. After the death of Moses, so God sent the Israelites into the wilderness for 40 years, and that generation died except for the two spies that had faith. And now Joshua is one of those spies, and he's now the head of the nation. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead this people across the Jordan River. Just go ahead and put it right down here and just wait for me for a sec. Okay? These are our priests. So give a big hand to our priests, okay? All right? One of whom was baptized last year. So, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River. The banks of the Jordan River. You see it? This is a second prefigured baptism that's happening. Now watch how like the first it is. Three days later, the Israelites went through the camp giving these instructions. When you see the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, move your positions and follow them. So now what are they following? Are they following a box? No. What is the Ark to the people of God? It's, it's two things. It is the place in which you take the law and you put the law inside of the box and this doesn't quite show it, but if you saw an actual ark picture, there are these two angels and they provide what they call the mercy seat. So watch, the mercy seat sits on the law. The law is God's goodness. It's showing us the difference between God and us because nobody can live up to it. But what's happening is, is God sits on that law in mercy. He's doling out what we need in order for us to understand and to enter into what that is. You see it? So the holiness is there, but so is mercy. And God is sitting on the mercy seat. So when the people of Israel think of the ark, they don't think of a box. They think of it as the place where God sits, which is to say they think of it as where God's presence is. When the people of Israel move through the through the wilderness there's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night and it's coming out over until it moves ahead but when they come it resides over the tabernacle where the ark is so you see what i'm saying they have this visual image of this box is not just a symbolic thing this box is where god sits so when they talk about the ark going before them they're not saying the ark going before them they're saying god going before them so what are they doing when they follow him? They're being God followers. See that? They're following God. And so he says, I want you to follow me now. Okay? Now, then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves. 
There's a holiness here. In fact, what, what he'll tell them in the part I'm not going to read to you, he'll tell the people of Israel, don't get within a half a mile of this. When you're following, stay a half a mile back because you and your choices are still so sinful that if you got close enough to this box, it would kill you, as happened later on when they were carrying the box and somebody stood up and tried to steady the box at one point and he died. Okay? So the point is, is God is saying, you, you, don't, you shouldn't be near here. Okay? Now, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great runners amongst you. In the morning, Joshua said to the priest, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. Go ahead, you guys, pick it up and stand on this. Or one of you stand on that, the other one behind it. The Lord told Joshua, give this command to the priest who carry the ark. When you, not, not yet. When you reach the banks of the Jordan, take a few steps in. Go ahead and take both of you. Take a few steps in. Okay, now they're halfway across already, but understand the Jordan right now, in, at non-flood times, the Jordan can be as narrow as about 45 feet. It averages about 70 feet across, okay? But at the flood stage, it can be as wide as a mile, as an enormous drainage base, basin that goes down to the Dead Sea, the lowest place on Earth. So there's this enormous basin that all the snows and the rains, everything comes down and filters into. And when the Jordan is in full flow going into the Dead Sea, it'll be a mile across at places. And whereas normally it could be as shallow as a foot or two and you could easily walk across it, at that point in time it can be as deep as 150 feet. So there's no way of getting across the river, just like there was no way of getting across the Red Sea. You see it? So what he says is, is he says, what I want you to do, they all see this flood stage, they know following that into there is going to be a bad thing. But he says to the priest, lift up the ark, lead the people. So they started out and they went ahead of the people and the Lord told Joshua, give this a command, when you reach the banks, uh, uh, step in and then stop. So Joshua told the Israelites, the priests will carry the ark of the Lord of the earth, and as soon as their feet touch the water, watch this, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the river will stand up like a wall. What does that sound like? The wall that they went through in the Red Sea, right? There's some debate about this. Uh, there's some people that say, well, it didn't, it stacked up 20 miles upstream, and that's where it was. It just dried up where they were. And I want to say maybe, but really what that is, is it's people always like to try and have naturalistic explanations for miracles. And so that's just people saying there's mudslides 20 miles upstream. The, the, if, you read the, if you read the Hebrew, it could be saying that. But the more natural way of reading it is, is that literally when they stepped in, a wall of water formed here. Can we bring that other sheet over, Joe? You're now my wall of water. So there's a wall of water that forms behind them, and it is so much water coming down that it backs up 20 miles. You see that? Okay? So there's our wall of water, okay? And it's a little threatening in the whole thing. What do you think? Is this good or what? Come on. Okay, who needs PowerPoint? Come on. All right, now go ahead and, and switch this way so that you guys are going this way, okay? Just like this. All right, now. Now. Here's what I want you to do. It was the harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing. As soon as they, the, the priests carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, water flowing on this side stopped. And, it, and the, on this side, it started to raise up in a mass that extended to this city 20 miles upstream. Now, now go ahead. Just stand on the bottom. Here, I'll help you. Here, I'll help you. 
There you go. Thank you, Joe. What do you think? Is that threatening? Okay. All right. Now, here's the difference. Right now, do you see how much this is just like the Red Sea? Prefiguring that I'm over here. We're supposed to get over there. That's the promised land. This is the life that God has for us. This is where we're supposed to go. And there's no way for me to get there. But now God's doing a miracle. And he's causing it to back up. And these people, remember, these are the children of the people who decided not to go in. They know all about the Red Sea. This wasn't a story four, five hundred, six hundred years ago. This is a story from their fathers. They knew exactly what it was. Everything is the same except one thing. What's the one thing that's different this time? This ark. I want to show you something. He told the people, stay a half a mile away because of your unholiness. But then he does something. The priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. Not a half a mile downstream, but here. Now watch. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed on dry ground. Here's what's happening. As an Israelite, I'm going into the water, and I'm. this is still scary. There's still a wall of water that could kill me. I still have to trust God. I still have to miraculously get to the other side. But watch. In the first one, people knew that there was a miracle that God did. In this one, it's God himself with me in the river. Do you see it? He's not just doing a miracle for me. He's with me. He's with me right here. And he's not telling me, stay a half a mile away right now. He's telling me, you're in, a, you're in a spot. I want you with me. See? And then, in his presence, I cross over. And just like it was with the Red Sea, when I get to this side, these guys come out. Go ahead and come out. You can drop it now, Joe. You can just drop it right there. The, the water comes down. And this is blocked off for me, but now watch. If you're an Israelite and you're thinking about how much was that Jordan like the Red Sea, the only difference that you get is what? That God was with me. So what does that mean? What is God trying to tell me? The first time I was with you, but you didn't know it, and you went back. In your minds, in your hearts, you saw what was before. This time I'm telling you what actually happens is, see, this is, I go across the Jordan and then God comes up. So in the beginning, I'm following him into the river. But when I come out of the river, he follows me out of the river as if he's, as if he's my rear guard to keep me from ever going back that way. You see it? He wanted, in these guys' minds, they knew what would happen if they went back because they saw what happened to their parents who died in the wilderness. And God was saying, I'm with you in that water. I'm with you in that trial. I'm with you in that tribulation. I'm with you in that temptation. I'm with you wherever you are when you're struggling and you're thinking, maybe I'm not here and maybe I'm not going to do it for you and maybe this isn't going to go well and maybe if I just went back, I could get out of this jam. What God is asking us to do is to remember who's in the water with us. 
You see it? He's saying, get your eyes on me. When that temptation comes, get your eyes on me. When that disappointment comes, get your eyes on me. When that thing's not happening that you want to have happen, get your eyes on me. You see what he's doing? He's saying, I want you to look to me. I want you to find me. Because you know what's going to happen if you go back there. It isn't good. It's just death. You have no hope. You don't know what's over here. God does. God has miracles to get you from one side to the other. Do you see all of a sudden, when we're doing baptisms today, thank you guys, thank you. When we're doing baptisms today and people are going into the water, I want you to picture that Jesus is in that water with you. Because that's the image that he wants us to have. He died, right? We're identifying with his death in that water. I want you to open your eyes and look to the side and see Christ right there with you. He's saying, I'm in this death with you. Because I want to raise you up. See? Because I want to take you somewhere where you cannot go on your own. I'm here with you. And I want you to know that I'm always here with you. Do understand. Do remember. When Christ dies for us, he says, it's better that I did. Why? Because now I can give you the Holy Spirit who can be with you all the time. And when you get into places where you're wondering about giants, you can, you can lean on the Holy Spirit. You can remember the Holy Spirit. You can put your eyes on God, the Holy Spirit who is in you and who is stopping you from going back there, who's leading you on, who's telling you, trust me, follow me. You see it? Now, I want to tell you something, though. When you're going into baptism, I want you to have that image in your mind. But now watch. Do you see why we do second baptisms at Lake Sam now? Do you see there's a first prefigured baptism that, can we say it this way? It's symbolic of what God has done in your heart. And you cannot get born again, born again. You cannot get born again twice. When God has changed you, he's changed you. Right? Right? So that's only one time, one baptism. But the reason why we do baptism again is because we understand this prefiguring. We understand that a lot of times, and anybody who's been baptized knows this, you get baptized, you go through, you come up new, and you get over here, and somehow this, excuse me, but crap, gets a hold of you again. Right? And you end up wondering about that. And you end up a lot of times going back to that. Do you see it? And what God is trying to do is he's trying to say at some point in time, I just want you to start looking at me. And if this is a day where you would want to get rebaptized, where you'd want to re-remind yourself of what this is, of what I'm to do. You see how this is not just about baptism? This is about every day of our lives. Whenever we're tempted, whenever we're in struggles, whenever we're in difficulties, he wants us to remember, I'm the one that's in there with you. Trust me. Follow me. Depend on me. Look to me. See it? So I just want to say, for those of you who God would be speaking to about a lot of stuff has come back on you again, and it's attached to you, and you feel a little hopeless. Now, the truth is you've been set free by Christ. That's the truth. But if you want to remind yourself yet again of, of what God has done for you, the way that he keeps you from, if you will look to, then it's a great thing to get baptized again because what you're doing is you're recommitting. It's no different than a, than a couple saying, we want to renew our vows because we've, things have happened and we want to redo this. We want to re-remind ourselves. We want to get a hold of the truth. So whether you're getting baptized for the first time or you're getting re-baptized, I want everybody 
who goes into the water today to have in your mind when you're going in there, Jesus is in here with me. Jesus is in here with me. And he's the one that raises me out. And he's the one that walks with me every day, all the time. That's what we're going to do. We're going to head down right now. We're going to see that spot right there. We're going to kind of take all of that. And we're going to stay on this side of the, the thing, I think. We're going to see how it works out when we get down there. But we've got some people that have signed up to be baptized. We'll have other people that will just come in because you've decided to come in. Okay, we do it either way, and we'll just do it until we're done. And then we've got Isaac Parsons' great meets and, and all kinds of fun. And thank you, God, for letting the weather hold. Okay, so head back, head down with me, and we're going to do some baptisms.